This is Dad I'd Like to Friend. I'm your host, Kevin Selden, and if this is your first time joining us, don't forget to click subscribe. In today's episode, we welcome a serial entrepreneur who's made a career out of manifesting the dreams of others while remaining behind the scenes, similar to his life as a parent. Together, we discuss everything from the power of transparency and the importance of fighting our tendencies towards autopilot to why the concept of balance is bullshit. Let's dive in. Ari, welcome. It is such a pleasure to have you on. Great to be here. Good to see you. I would love to start by just diving into something that I've been struggling with this week, which is a topic that is over-discussed and yet is something that's over-discussed for a reason, and it's balance. I mean, for me, my wife and I, both we're both working. We have a kid. We are trying to we're failing at self-care and just attempting so hard to uh, find a way to occupy our very active toddler and keep sane. And as someone who successfully launched previous businesses is taking your restaurant and launching a, a new branch in Culver City, is an advisor on multiple very cool boards, is launching his own new company has a wonderful wife and kids. I mean, how do you deal with balance and have you felt those struggles as well? Yeah, I think balance is impossible. I think that, like, think about the teeter-totter anyways. What does it do? It goes up and down. It's never steady, right? I think that the illusion of being able to achieve perfect balance is a fool's errand. It just, it's impossible. I think you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're going to have good days and bad days and you're going to have stressful days and you're going to have more relaxed days. And if anything, I've noticed that the last year has exacerbated the highs and lows for sure. And I think you have to do your best to roll with punches, but I also think you have to know what your outlets are. So being creative about what you do for yourself when you know you're having a bad day or just the things that you can get out in front of. Um, I try to run every day um, and that could be 10 or 15 minutes if it needs to be. I will literally just put on my gym clothes in the morning and wait for a gap in the day. And when I get a 15 minute break for whatever reason it is, I literally will run right out the door and run as far as I can in whatever time I have. And that really, I think that that's helped me because it just gives me that space and that kind of time to, to just do something for me. And that also is a, is a break from the routine and it, it gets me out of the house. I also set up a punching bag in the back of my driveway, which does help on certain days as well. <laughs> but, uh, I, think, I think that the, the key is honestly just, just setting reasonable expectations and then making sure both you and your partner and your family members have their outlets. And you, know, you can't get stuck in the like, you know, I'm sitting in front of my screen. Even when I get a break, I'm just going to get on the internet and, you know, or social media. You really have to break out of the kind of, I guess, the, the routine that we're all in right now, which is sitting in front of screens, whether we're kids or we're adults. That's what we're doing all day long. It's such a fascinating thing for me. I, I try to avoid Zoom and my phone as much as possible. And we turn off phones on the weekends just to kind of really focus on, on reconnecting with each other. And for me, the issue isn't always sitting in front of the screen it often is getting my head on where i'm i'm with my kid and all i'm thinking about is work and when i'm actually doing the work all i want to do is be with my kid and it's like getting in the right space at the appropriate time yeah i think one of the things i loved when i was uh, when i started surfing which i i guess i took up late in life for somebody who grew up in southern california 
was it was so consuming for me. It's a great metaphor. Like when you go out on the water, you cannot think about anything else, right? You've got to be focused on that, that next wave and the, your surroundings. And it really took me out of my routine and made me focus on something that was just totally separate and different. Um, I think that it's that ability to focus on what's in front of you is really important right now because the days are spent in confined spaces and right. they can just feel, it feels like Groundhog Day. We've been captive for a long time. And I think it's very much a mental struggle to really kind of focus on the, the task at hand. And then when that's done, move on to the next thing. When you don't have the physical change of scenery throughout the day, you're not going to an office, you're not going out to lunch, you're not going on vacation, yeah. you're just in one place. So I think, I think it makes it incredibly hard, but that's something you have to do. And that's a real, that's a mental fitness exercise that I think uh, we all have to get better at right now. A past guest once said, I can take care of very little when I'm not taking care of myself. And I feel like it is, it is such a beautiful and succinct statement. I, I feel like there's another thing that's going on right now in our world in that, and we discussed this a bit in the pre-interview of Slowly but surely as things open up, it seems that people are getting more lenient and more open to going and doing more things outside of their community and their little cave of of friends that they've Mm -hmm. created. I have also noticed with that that there's been a lot of shaming in my own community. And shame has become something that is a big part of this covid world yeah. you know shaming others for things they're doing and i'm curious you you mentioned your point of view on it and i think it's fascinating and i'd love to discuss a little sure i think first of all the the feeling of shame is something to discuss and then i think the creation of shame or the projection of shame is another thing so on the on the feeling of shame yourself i think honestly if you think about why you would feel shame it's because you've either done something wrong or you think you've done something wrong it's it's essentially a guilty feeling right so for me i think I try to approach everything knowing that there's no handbook and no playbook, especially for parenthood. And if you make mistakes, which you inevitably will every single day, right. you just got to learn from them, right? And so I think it's really about being receptive to feedback and to kind of, you know, understanding that you might, you might be doing something that people are taking in a different way, or you might have missed something that you didn't get to do the way that you might have thought you would have or meant to. And understanding that you don't have to feel shameful about that. You just have to understand, okay, I did, I did something that was received poorly and I'm going to do it differently now. I wasn't intending to do that. I think that's that's really important to not feel shame. On the other hand, making people feel shame, I think is is a uh it shows in in my opinion it shows a weakness of communication. Um I think that you have to be able to with your partner, with your kids, with your community, your neighbors, you know, we didn't even before I'm going to do a quick commentary on this, like we talk a lot about our families. We talk a lot about our countries. What I don't see us talking about a lot until maybe COVID is our neighbors, right? Right in our communities, right in our in our, our blocks. Yeah, and I think that's something that I and maybe because I moved around a lot, lived in New York, and I lived in Boston and San Francisco, and we moved houses every year or two. I think that we, you know, we've missed out a little bit on that kind of neighborly friendship, and I've developed amazing relationships with my neighbors since COVID. Uh, same, same. They weren't around before, right? Like, kid has found so many friends in this community. exactly. It's incredible, you know, even, you know, kids, the adults, and it's going to be something that's going to be hopefully a silver lining to all this. But I think, you know, the fact is, like, I think about people who've done things that I get upset about, and younger me or less patient me would maybe project shame on them for that. And I think as I've become older and hopefully more mature, but certainly a parent, I've learned to communicate better. Hey, this is something that 
is upsetting me or I see this, could you do this? And I think what you find is if you can, if you can communicate clearly, maturely, and respectfully, in most cases, 80, 90% of the time, it's really just a miscommunication, right? It's you taking it the wrong way or them doing something that they didn't intend. And there are, of course, exceptions to that. But I think it's on both parties to A, communicate well when they see something that is bothersome to them or something that they don't like or don't approve of to say, hey, this is how I'm seeing it. And the other side to say, okay, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Or if they did intend to do it, they have a discussion about it. And I think that, that avoids the kind of notion of shame and gets us to being adults and talking directly about our issues. And I think that can, that can help us all not to create and feel shame. I mean, Ari really should become a psychologist as another career path. I think that is beautiful. And, and the theme of what your response was with regards to balance and with regards to shame, I think is all about allowing. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I, I think especially in these tense times, I think allowing yourself the freedom to have a bad day, to allow yourself to be on the unbalanced end of things and be okay with it and not react when you feel like someone's judging you because maybe they're not. Maybe you're just putting that on the situation. Probably aren't. And I feel like allowing and giving that space is probably just something that will make your world better and those around you. In a lot of cases, and I used to, I was guilty of this, especially as I was younger. I took everything as an offense on me. You know, I was like, you, you have to stop seeing the world as like through the lens of you, right? And understand that things that people are doing, they are just doing, they're not doing to make you happy or to make you upset in a lot of, you know, most of the cases, they're just doing. And I think if you can kind of take your, take your lens away and just kind of see the world as, as it is, and as people are acting and not make draw, draw conclusions or jump to conclusions about why or what their motives are, I think it will make you more peaceful as a person and it, you can avoid those shameful situations or the, the, the conflict. Uh, it's unnecessary. It's hard, but it's, it's a way to approach it, in, in my opinion. I love that. And I think also that the more self-care, and I love that you have kind of a regimented routine of, of taking that run every day. Do you even do it on weekends? Oh, yeah. Yeah, every day of the week. I swam today and every freaking day I go, okay, I got to do that weekly. I got to do that bi-weekly and then a week goes by and it's just too many things come up. But I think I love, the more it's regimented and it's it's a mandatory thing for you, the better you have the space to allow for difficulties when they occur. I Yeah, I brought up earlier is I literally put on my gym clothes in the morning. If I do that before I go to drop my son off for preschool, he's in person now, finally. Yeah. I come back to the house and I'm right. If I have a moment right there, I'm just going to go right out the door. I'm already dressed and ready to go. It's a psychological thing for me to just kind of be ready when that moment strikes versus kind of having to then go get changed and like one more hurdle. It, it, it stops me in my tracks. Yeah, exactly. I love that. You mentioned that when you were younger, you know, maybe you, you weren't as patient and, and didn't have as much room for allowing. How do you feel like becoming a, a husband, becoming a dad has changed you? as a man in every way possible the patience thing i think i still work on and it's something i've actually uh, you know i've throughout my life i've sought therapy when yeah. i need it um, i've made it something that when i know i'm kind of getting into a place where maybe i'm getting a little impatient or i'm getting upset about things or I'm getting more stressed i i actually i go to therapy and it, it helps me a lot it's not something i've done consistently every day or every week you know for the last 20 years but I've done it in specific moments during those 20 years. And I, it was yeah. actually after college that I started doing it. And it's been super helpful. 
but I went to talk to somebody. There's two things around parenthood that like, I specifically was like, okay, I'm having a mental block here. I need to like talk this through with somebody. And the first was when my daughter was born. So we have a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. We had kids late. My wife and I had been together for over 10 years by the time we actually got married. And uh, when we had kids, we were ready. <laughs> it was something I had begged her for a while. To yeah. Finally, she relented. My daughter was born, and I think as a lot of dads find, they are, you know, essentially there's a support function in the beginning, especially because the kids just physically need the mother, you know, if it's a, uh, right. if there's a mom in the picture, which uh, in this case there was. And so, you know, the, my daughter was very attached to her mom. And when she was young, right away, clearly, as she, she needed to be. And then as she even got up to like one one year old or so, and I started to really get kind of hurt by it because she always wanted her mom for everything. And I was like, hey, yeah. I'm a supportive dad. I'm here. I'm like, I, I love you. I want to be there for you. I want a relationship yeah. with you. And she's, you know, she's one, of course. And and so I had to kind of just express that. Uh, she's obviously not going to have a conversation with me about that at one years old. But um, right. I went and talked to, to somebody and I said, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that this is something that's actually causing me to be hurt. And the behavior that I'm starting to exhibit worries me because I see how dads can kind of withdraw from their kids and why a yes. lot of dads kind of end up being somewhat distant. And I think a lot of them having experienced it is because of this very thing where the kids, whether they're girls or boys, just physically are so attached to their mother in the beginning, the dad feels a little bit useless and hurt. 100%. And some dads deal with that by withdrawing. Some deal with it by by being funny. And I found myself essentially, as I recognized, I was like, all right, I'm going to take the slapstick like dad joke approach and I'm just going to get attention that way by being silly. And that was yeah. my solution to it. And of course, I'm like, geez, now I'm my dad. Which was, <laughs> kind of a, it was kind of a funny thing to realize. It's like, I always used to like really make fun of my dad for his stupid jokes, but now I know why he did it. Yeah. Um, so that was the first. And then the second was just, I think, patience as the kids have gotten older. I think especially when you're in stressful moments in your life, and this was before the pandemic even, we had moved from San Francisco to LA. It's our third move since we've had kids. And there were definitely moments where I lost my patience and I just, I would get upset about little things. And like I any could, human. I, yeah. And I just, I didn't want to do that. And I don't want to do that. And still sometimes I, I just, you know, I can't quite control my temper and I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't raise my voice. I got to like calm down. But I think that that's a really hard thing to do. And so having the tools to recognize, okay, I'm starting to feel frustrated. I'm starting to feel impatient and being able to actually convey that to your kids or your, your partner and say, hey, just want you to know, like, I'm, I'm a little agitated and I'm really starting to feel like I'm going to, you know, I'm getting close to my boiling point. That was something yeah. I had to learn how to be able to communicate. Um, and that, that's been helpful. It's not foolproof. It's not perfect. But 80% it, 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 of the time, it really has helped. I love that. I think anyone who listens to the podcast and, and you and I have discussed this in the past, I dealt with the same exact thing when my son was born. I wanted him for so long. I just wanted a kid and we struggled for so long to get pregnant. And when he finally came out, I, I mean, I did the registry. I, I did everything that I could possibly do to get involved. And I just, there wasn't a space for me. And I feel like one of the main focuses of the first season was paternity leave and how important yeah. it is to kind of take that time and, and allow the space to get more involved and, and have the courage to take on the responsibilities and not just follow orders. You know, and we talk a lot this season about empowerment and mental health. And I think that's a huge thing 
that is a problem in the masculine world, if you will. I mean, it's it's starting to change definitely in the in modern times, but a lot of men aren't comfortable talking about these types of things, which makes them feel more alone, which makes them go more inward, and therefore, without that support network, feel like they're the only ones, which can be shitty and hard and make you have even less patience with your kid. And then it's a vicious cycle. It is. It is. And you've seen, I think you can look back on it as a dad now and say, okay, now I understand why men have been this way in their relationships with their kids and their partners in a lot of cases, not every one of them. And what a, what a challenge it is. And I think you have to recognize that you have to, you have to behave differently. Um, And it's not, I think there's, there's a fine line between, wanting essentially the the credit you know for like hey look at me i'm a i'm a great dad i'm involved and you know right. like that's that's yeah. price of entry i think and you do it because you want to have a relationship with your kids you want your marriage to work your relationship to work i should say but also you want to like fuck your kids up as little as possible to put it like right. very bluntly right and so the more that you can kind of find that balance of being there being involved being engaged still being yourself but also, you know, doing it for the right reasons and having your motivation not be about, you know, just self-fulfillment, but also like long-term it's good for everybody because everybody's happier. Everybody's, you know, nothing's perfect. I think back to the balance conversation. Right. You will never have it all. It will never work perfectly. You'll never have every, you know, days in a row that will be perfect, but you can do better. And that's an effort you have to make. And as a dad, you have to roll with the punches a little bit because you are support, especially in the beginning. You are, as we said, when my kids were born, you know, mom's on input, dad's on output. That was that was something I had to get you know comfortable with. I was in a very specific manual labor job, and that's that's thankless job. And I think that's a, just a, a reality of having young kids and, and kind of the new journey of being a parent. So getting comfortable with that and not expecting a pat on the back because like that's what you signed up for. That's what you're there for. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes ever is. Uh, I believe it's Samuel Beckett, but it's ever tried, ever failed, fail again, fail better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's it's one of my favorite things to think about with my son. I don't ever mind if he sees me fucking up. You know, I actually think it's a wonderful thing. The problem is when I don't have any support network to be able to talk about it with, yeah. reflect, and then come back to him and say, hey, so I made a mistake there. And then I feel like that's where the growth comes. And the problem is so many people fuck up and then they feel bad about their fuck up and then they push it under the rug and then no one learns anything. And what I love about what you're saying is the fact that not only do we have to allow for those moments, but we have to be okay when we fall. You know, we have to be okay with it. We're humans. Totally. Yeah. And that's like you said, I think it's a weird feeling to know that they're watching every single thing you do. And you remember back to when you were a kid, adults were amazing, right? Everything they did was an example. I mean, even just think about Ari and I know each other from summer camp back in the day. And it's just even the people who are just a few years older than you. That's right. You know, they don't know you, but you, you know everything about them. Exactly. You could today, to this day, probably there's people that were three years ahead of you at camp where you're like, hey, you went to this high school and you dated this person and like, exactly. parents there, and, like and they're like, who, who are you? So, yeah. That just goes to show, you know, that there's a microscope on, on parents and the older sibling even and just even i mean that's a that's an interesting dynamic is watching even the older versus younger sibling in my family and thinking back right. on my relationship with my own brother and how it's evolved as we've been adults and business partners and 
you know, some of the things that he gets upset at me now, still, I'm like, I watch my daughter do to my son and I'm like, oh yeah, I used to do that. That must've really pissed him off. He probably still carries that. And you know what? He does. Yeah. I guess back to the point is when you, when you do fall down, when you do make mistakes, being able to own up to them and kind of have a, a, a decent conversation with the kid or with your, with your partner, you know, that they see, I think, you know, we try when we, if we get into an argument or we're upset at each other, like we, we generally make up in front of the kids. Like we, we are hugging in front of the kids and saying, I'm sorry. And we show, I think it's, it's valuable because they see that like you can disagree and then you can, you can solve a problem and you still love each other. And I think that's something I'm trying to do with my kids. If I, I love that. If they're paying the ass in the car and I turn around and I snap at them, you know, when we get to where we're going, I get down on one knee and I get high level with them and I say, Hey, I'm sorry. I lost my cool there. This is why do you understand why I'm upset? Okay. I'm sorry. I did that. I shouldn't do that. It's funny. Cause it's, it's harder emotionally, but it's an easier style of parenting. It's transparency. And it is, yeah. it just makes things easier. It's just, you have to allow the space as a human to let down your guard to be able to be transparent, you know? You do. And I think as a man, that's harder. Like I think you mentioned it earlier. I think we have to, we have to be examples for our sons, our daughters. And I think that that's something also having a daughter was a, that's been super interesting. And there are things that I, you know, that I, you can see almost like default, you kind of go towards the boy on or you go towards the girl and I have to like every time right. I do that I have to like really pull myself back and be like this yes. is not about boy girl like you have to empower the girl for everything the boy does that's super important and you have to lead, lead that example for the boy that they see that with the girl as well there's a whole that that whole thing has been super interesting to me and I'm learning a lot about that and that's something I want to really focus on in the next phase of, of parenting because my kids are getting older and just the gender dynamics that I'm seeing, I really want to, um, I want to empower my daughter and I want to also teach my son. Yeah. I worked with Gina Davis on this, on this project once and she, she has this theory and it's a fascinating theory. I think she said it publicly many times, but what she is very interested in, in Hollywood is not writing better female roles, but actually focusing on taking a role that was written for a man and just casting a female and not adjusting the dialogue whatsoever. And I think the theory of that is so fascinating for parents because it's the mentality of don't change anything based on gender. You know what I mean? Like, and it's easier said than done to treat kids equally, but I, I just think it's the mentality of you, you must erase the fact that they have any gender whatsoever and then allow them to kind of, create the nuances that make them an individual to be them yeah, to be themselves. Yeah. I agree. And I think this is exposing, there are some great books. I think there are great toys. Uh, yeah. Normalizing the diversity that actually exists in their world. And in our world, I think that's something we as parents really have to do. And it's, you have to, you have to make an effort because that is not what exists kind of in the um, kind of standard offering. And it's pathetic, but right. it's, you know, and I think we have to, as parents, we have to set a different example. We have to make sure that they, they are playing with boys and girls and with people from different ethnic backgrounds and different neighborhoods and socioeconomic classes. It, it's super, super important because they have to experience the real world as it is. Uh, and if you don't do that, I actually think you are failing as a parent. Now, talk to me a little about the differences and even the similarities between you and your wife's relationship with your children. Do you follow kind of traditional gender roles ever, 
or how does that work out? <laughs> yeah, I think we both we look, we both work. She's highly accomplished. Um, my wife, that is. Uh, she is um, she's a C level executive. Uh, she's done incredibly well in her career, but I think you know when you're having kids, she definitely had to. Um, she had to adjust her schedule and her her career pathing, and that was something yeah. that I was very thankful for. I was also mostly an entrepreneur. And so I think, you know, in, in most of my, the last decade of my life and when we were having kids, so it enabled, enabled me to kind of carve my schedule and my, my world around what I needed personally. So that really helped. And I actually, I've had a theory for a long time about successful marriages. And I think having at least one of the um, partners have a flexible schedule because they're an entrepreneur or they're, uh, you know, working remote or whatever it is, is a very big benefit because Ultimately, it's just too much for, for people to do. Parenting is so busy and so all-consuming. Having right. one or the other kind of have that flexibility really does, does help. And so in, in my case, um, aside from when we were in kind of the, the thick of, of having kids where, where my wife was, uh, did consulting work, you know, since then, she's gone back into a very high-profile, successful uh, role and I'm trying to step in and be more supportive and do kind of the everyday duties and doing most of the preschool drop-offs and making lunches and making dinners and breakfast, actually. So I yeah. think in that case, it's really just more about us being a team. And we've been toggling up and down in our careers over the past 15 years, 20 years that we've been together, almost 20 years. And I think this is her time, to be honest. I think I'm doing a lot, but I do it on a schedule that's much more carved out by what I, how I want to make it versus... Or she leaves, you know, walks out to the garage at 8 a.m., comes back at 6 if she can. Um, and generally, you know, I'm bringing her lunch when I can during the day, definitely cooking dinner most of the nights, definitely breakfast. Um, you know, I think we have, we, we're just trying to figure out how to get through this. And whoever's available and can do it, does it. I happen to be a better cook, too, but that's a whole other subject. <laughs> That's something that as someone who also kind of wears more entrepreneurial hat and has run my own companies, I am also a bit more organized. So I, I find it easy to do the errands, but I've never been good in the kitchen. And that's been something we actually have been working on. Like on our date nights, her empowering me, she teaches me certain things without getting her hands dirty at all. And I'm forced to kind of do it, which gives me more courage. And I've realized I'm actually quite a good baker, which I was kind of shocked at. This is a great subject. I think you're either a baker or you're a chef or a cook, we'll call it, right? Like my wife is a baker too. It's about, yeah. you know, you can follow very clear instructions. Like it's about proportions and measurements. Whereas cooking to me is more jazz. It's, it's a little bit more improvisational and that's definitely more me. I see uh, that you're the chef. You think it's a better world. Jazz versus classical. <laughs> to be honest, I find during the pandemic, cooking has been one of my creative outlets. I found a lot of people, I feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I find I like some it. freedom in the baking in interesting ways. Sometimes it fails miserably, but I've, <laughs> I've done things where less sugar, more applesauce. You're living on the edge there, Kevin. You know, like I get creative with things. You know, something you brought up that's been actually an interesting struggle for me is being a man and being the one in the relationship who at this point in time is, is kind of handling more on certain levels i feel like there is it's an insecurity in me that that makes me want to feel appreciated and i feel like uh it's something that when i took my my time off for paternity leave and my wife went back to work i took an extended paternity leave 
And I remember feeling, understanding what my mom always felt as a stay-at-home mom and that if you don't have an active paycheck, and I had some money coming in from my company, but I didn't have nearly my regular amount, nor did I have as much as my wife was making. And I feel like I needed to justify what I did during that day. So my wife Mm -hmm. gave it credibility you know, like I needed her to know all the things that I accomplished because I didn't have uh, money coming in to show my worth. Yeah. And it was it was a hard struggle for me. And I did not seek therapy during it. And I think that was a mistake that I made. I think I had PTSD from the years of trying to get pregnant. And I was just kind of trying to reconnect to myself and my kid. And I realize now there's slight remnants of that that my wife and I have been talking about a lot lately and kind of working through in that I want her to acknowledge when I do things, because I personally am someone who acknowledges her a lot, but that's my personality. It's not something that she necessarily needs. And it bothers me that I need it a little more. I don't know if it's because I feel like I'm a man and I'm doing it and a lot of men aren't doing it, which is stupid because honestly, I think every man can kind of step up more in the home and and be as actively involved as possible. But I also feel that there's a part of me that just wants to show the sacrifices that I'm making, which I think is a little immature. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so this is a good, this is a great dude conversation. I think this is a, the question is, do you get credit for basically doing what you should be doing? Right. (laughs) Or, or is it, just price, again, price of entry, table six, whatever you want to call it in today's relationships. And I think it's the latter. But at the same time, we as partners need to be nurturing and we also need to be aware of what our partners need. So it's on the partner to say, hey, appreciate that. And you, for you also to communicate to your partner, hey, I need some appreciation. Right. Okay, I recognize that maybe this is for my ego or just to, you know, or whatever it is that you feel like is driving this. You have to communicate to them. I'm going to need, you know, I need you to acknowledge these things I'm doing because they're hard and, or whatever it is that is, is the reason for you and figuring out that reason is important. And then the partner owes you that back. And I think it's okay for you to say, Hey, I'd love some, you know, just acknowledgement of what I, what I did. Um, or letting them know like, Hey, when I, when I walk into the room and I say, Hey, lunches are packed, uh, laundry's done and the kitchen's clean. You're basically fishing for a thank you. And right. <laughs> sometimes you may right. let them know that. And I think a lot of moms I feel similarly, you know, for a sure. lot of moms, stay-at-home moms or working moms who have been doing it and uh, for the, sadly, the dads out there who have not stepped up, you know, and, and the moms are just basically saying, I just want you to acknowledge at least at a minimum, the amount of things on my plate. Yeah. I don't think this is, a, this is, this isn't a gender thing. There are plenty of same sex couples that are in a similar situation where one is working and one is not. It's, I don't think this is a gender thing. I think this is a, this is just, it's a thankless fucking hard job to be a parent and to like yes. take care of the, the family and the, and the home all day, every day. And it's just thankless. It's not a fun job for people and it's not easy. So I think the best thing we can do is communicate to our partners what we need and when we need acknowledgement. And then also to, to not expect it because it is thankless and that's what we signed up for. I love that. I, I could not agree more. I feel like the whole point of this podcast is about the the gender lines do not exist anymore. And we are all right. 
parents. And it doesn't matter if you're male or female, everyone needs to be treated as a parent equally. How would we as a society react if a mom said, you know, I really wish I get more credit for like taking care of the family. And you know, like that's, but dads say that. Moms say it all the time. And I think they're right. I think what I find interesting about what you said is moms do deserve more credit and, and dads deserve more credit. And I think what we need as a society is to acknowledge each other more. I agree. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I've actually noticed, even though we have a lot of mom listeners entering the kind of dad space, you know, dad influencer space, if you will, I've encountered a lot of dads who don't like to admit when they have tough times because they want to present themselves as super dads, which I actually think is a problem for people watching. We already have the Instagram culture of people thinking only presenting their perfect sides. And I think it's it's a problem for anyone to feel they need to present themselves as a super parent. You know, the martyrdom creates an issue for everyone, including the kids, you know? I agree. I also have experienced, you know, there are a lot of things that I take care of logistically for the family. And some of those things end up being school related. And so a lot of times, you know, it's funny because my wife still gets all the emails because the schools will just like put all the moms on. Right. It's just always the list of moms. Um, And it's like, it's such an interesting conversation because on the one hand, I want to be frustrated because I'm saying, Hey, you guys know me. I'm the one that's doing the drop off. You know, you, you know, but why do you, why don't you send me the emails? You know, and I don't get invited to the mom's nights out, which is a bummer, but I understand. I, th- yeah. I think that it's just, we have to take this with a little bit of a, a lighthearted approach to realize that, you know, there's, there's no ill will again, back to the shame. It's just that we still are trying to break out of this paradigm and it's hard. And I don't think anybody's yeah. intending to do anything offensive. We just, you know, we're changing and that's good. It's good. But we, we also have to not get offended by that stuff. I love that mentality. As we start to come to a close on this conversation, I feel like one thing that is interesting with regards to COVID is how much we are present with our family locked in a house and how many people are not feeling connected to their family, which I think is so interesting. And I'm curious to know if there's any kind of rituals or family time that is kind of sacred for you that has helped you in connecting with your family on a regular basis? You know, I wish I had better answers to that. I think that because we're so limited in the things that we can do, they end up being things like movies or meals. Yeah. Um, Meals are the easiest one. I think Um, it's just, you know, everybody's going to eat three times a day and it's something we can do safely at home. Um, so one thing we've started doing is we'll we'll all kind of get on our bikes and go get food together on Saturday afternoon for a little bit of lunch and bring it oh, back I love that. and sit together and eat. And it's kind of, it's become a bit of a ritual. We go to the same place and we pick up and it's, it at least gives us something that we know we're going to do together pretty much every Saturday. Um, when the weather was nice, we were going to the beach to sit outside together on a, <laughs> a little blanket and stay far away from everybody else. But it's, real, it's a real big struggle, to be honest. I think we've tried, we've tried many things. It's funny because you talked about the running every day and the consistency of that. We tried to do every Saturday night date night in the house, you know, and we would rotate between her and me. We actually did a co-parenting episode where we came up with the idea. It was, a, it was an episode mm-hmm. all about connection, how we weren't feeling connected to each other. And uh, 
And so the commitment was, you know, I planned a spa night. We gave each other massages and, you know, and we had a, like an appetizer tray out. And then she planned this. She wanted to hypnotize me. She took this course on YouTube <laughs> and we just like, we, we did a cooking class. I mean, like we just, every Saturday we would rotate. And after about six months, you know, one thing comes up and it's just, it gets exhausting planning a date night. It's like, it's, and it makes you realize how much work it is to stay connected. But it should be. It should be that much work because of the rewards yeah, that you get. Is. You know, it's an active, just like you have to do work professionally to make money, you have to do work in a marriage to keep it active. You have to do work as a parent. And I think so many of us want to go on autopilot, and I understand why. But we, we must understand that when you go on autopilot, there's no possible way for the relationships around you to thrive. It's very true. It's, it's a very difficult year to not go on autopilot, though, for many oh, reasons. Oh, boy, is that Whether true. The limitations or also the, the emotional requirements. I just think a lot of us are numb at the end of the day. I know. Maybe one of the things that we can take away from today is thinking about what we're going to do over the next six months. Because we are starting to come out of this, and there is going to be some opening up. And are we going to plan time off? Are we going to do new activities that we couldn't do? And kind of shake ourselves out of this complacency you know that was forced upon us but you know things like taking our kids to museums or soccer or whatever it is things that we couldn't do we can't not do those things now because we're used to sitting home and that will be a, a test for a lot of people so we'll see what happens but I, I would say to everybody listening to you and uh, this community think about what your next six months looks like think about what's your plan for 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 after this and how are you going to make sure that it's better than it was before because I'm sure that everybody's struggling. I am. It's hard. I, I absolutely love that. I think that the most fascinating thing, I think for me, it's about managing expectations because that's something I've struggled with my whole life. You know, some people set their, their bar low and I, you know, I set it way too high and always fall short. And I feel like what I found with 2021 is people thought the new year was going to hit and everything was going to be normal again. Like it was a 2020 thing. Yeah. And I feel like we still need to manage expectations. There's remnants and our relationships are going to need to heal. Everything is going to need to fall into this new place. We can't just jam it back into the old jar That's right. and think it's going to fit. That's right. And I, and I love what you're saying. It, it, it goes back to what you said in the very beginning of this episode, which was we need to allow room for that. We, we absolutely need to be thinking about it. We need space for it. We need to talk to our partners, to our kids. Yeah. I think that the most important thing is continuing conversations like this and raising awareness that it's okay and you're not alone if you had struggles. Most people do. And the most important thing that you can do is allow space to be able to hear your partner and have your walls down so you can actually speak openly and communicate with your partner about what you're feeling. And I feel like that is the way to overcome any struggle. One thing I want to add, though, and I think this is really important. Yeah. It's probably important for everybody to, to not necessarily always look for somebody else who's gone through the same thing. Your problems can be unique. That's okay. You know, there, it's, and that's why things like therapy. Are, are very valuable. It's not that you're always going to find somebody who's gone through the exact same thing to kind of normalize what you've gone through. Like, okay, well, they went through it or, you know, I can't find anybody else that's experienced this. So I must be, something must be wrong with me. That's not the case. Everybody goes through what they go through. It's, it's their individual experience. It's great if you can find a friend or a mentor or a family member who can give you advice because they've been through something similar. But if you can't, 
that does not mean that what you're going through is wrong. I absolutely love that. That is very beautiful, Ari. Very profound, wise soul. A wise son. <laughs> a wise son, which is the name of the deli that will be opening up a new branch in Culver City soon, correct? That is correct. It's very exciting. You can learn more about Ari in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. As many of you know, this podcast began as a labor of love from one parent with a desire to build the support network I so sorely lacked when I first entered the world of parenting. But the only way to continue to build that support network is with your help. So if you felt connected to any part of today's episode, please consider sharing it or writing a review. And as always, we invite you to join in on the conversation by visiting us on Instagram at DILF Podcast. Until next time.